0: The Whole Health Cure with Dr. Sharon Burquist, the podcast that brings you inspiration and skills for living a healthy and fulfilled life.
1: Welcome to the Whole Health Cure podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Berquist. On this podcast, we explore the science and provide inspiration and skills for living your happiest, most fulfilling and healthiest life. Today, I'm joined by a colleague for whom I'm honored to call a friend and for whom I have so much respect for the pioneering work that he's done in obesity medicine and interventional radiology to help us better understand hunger and why diets fail, Dr. David Prologo. Dr. Prologo is a Christian, a husband, a father, and a fighter. In addition, he's a dual board certified interventional radiologist and obesity medicine specialist. Dr. Prologo has spent more than 20 years specifically analyzing the phenomena of diet attrition. Why do diets always fail? More importantly, when they do fail, why do we blame the patients for that failure? He's the author of the upcoming book, The Catching Point Transformation, a 12-week weight loss strategy based in reality. The journey of that question led Dr. Prologo to perform first in human advanced interventional procedures, the first in the um, human advanced procedures to manage obesity, diabetes, and other metabolic conditions. It further led to the identification of the catching point, a clear pivot point beyond which calorie restriction and exercise are easier for patients. Dr. Prologo has been recognized nationally and internationally for his work, including features on the Today Show, in the Washington Post, on Capitol Hill, in numerous peer-reviewed journal publications, and countless web-based invited expert articles, and much more. He currently lives in Atlanta, Georgia with his wife and two children. Dr. Prologo continues to advocate for those who are in pain or struggle with weight loss, particularly driving an agenda of acceptance, inclusion, and love. Dr. Perlogo, thank you so much for joining.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited.
1: I have been looking forward to our conversation. You know, we've known each other for years, and I remember the results of the procedure you invented here at Emory about freezing the hunger nerve. And boy, when that came out, there was so much buzz and interest. I've had so many patients who've wanted to be a patient in one of your clinical trials. So can you tell us a little bit about your work?
0: Sure, sure. Uh, Thank you for asking about that. And thank you again for having me. The procedure that got all of the media attention a few years back was a percutaneous procedure or a procedure that Uh, is a needle through the skin, just a needle therapy through the skin. The needle we place using CAT scan guidance. And in this particular trial, we use that needle to target the nerve that carries hunger from an empty stomach to the brain. So this is the nerve that's responsible for food-seeking behavior when people get hungry and people go a long time without eating. And the theory was that if we could shut down that nerve with cold, that we could block the hunger signal or at least lessen the hunger signal for people who were on calorie restriction, people who were on diets. And the foundation which supported that trial was evidence that one of the reasons people fail diets is hunger. There are others, but uh, one of the top three is uh, reported to be hunger. Patients will say uh, quite plainly that uh, they're too hungry to stay on this calorie restriction diet. And we learned from surgeries in the past, when this nerve is blocked or transected or cut, uh, people feel less hungry and they're able to tolerate lower calorie diets uh, and be less miserable as it were. So we did 20 patients, uh, this is four years ago now, uh, all of them at every time point, uh, except for one. So 98% of the follow-ups at every time point reported some degree of uh, less hunger and less appetite compared to prior to the procedure. And that was exciting because uh, the focus of most of my work is uh, how can we keep people on diets? How can we fight these things that stop people from being successful on their diets? Uh, The last thing I'll say about this, uh, sorry, I don't mean to go on, is that four years later now, we have followed up those patients from the original trial and actually found that as a group, they are lighter or have lost more weight uh, than even we documented at the six month mark, uh, meaning that uh, the procedure, at least in this small group, has been durable and safe uh, over this long period of time.
1: Yeah, which is so groundbreaking, and so fascinating. So tell me a little bit more, when you freeze the nerve, how long does it stay frozen?
0: Oh, great question. So the answers to these questions come from uh, the original reasons we were freezing nerves, which I think I should mention. We manage in interventional radiology, meaning we manage with CT guidance and MRI guidance to place these needles in other parts of the body to block nerve signals to manage pain. And so over the years, as we block pain signals for cancer patients and patients with pain for other reasons like arthritis and, and so on, Uh, we've learned that what happens to the nerve is it essentially degenerates after its exposure to that cold. And then it regenerates at a rate of about one to two millimeters per day. And so what that means for the vagus nerve or the so-called hunger nerve is that about eight to 12 months after the procedure, the nerve is fully regenerated. What we hope for though, is that the newly regenerated nerve is at a new set point. And actually that's a great segue into Uh, the idea of what the catching point is. During that eight to 12 months, uh, when it's a little bit easier to stay on a calorie restriction and a little bit easier to live a healthy lifestyle, uh, we hope that people will get beyond that critical point, uh, which we call the catching point, into a new place in their lives where it's not a struggle, it's not a a job to live healthy and eat healthy, but in fact, it's enjoyable uh, and easy. And so that's the window we're trying to open by doing a cryoablation or freezing that hunger nerve. We're trying to open that window long enough to get people past that critical point called the catching point so that all of this is is fun and desirable instead of miserable and undoable.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and there's so much interest in obesity medicine right around the set point, right? It's like the holy grail of managing weight. Like how do you Ratchet down a set point. So, can you talk a little bit more about how set point plays into weight management?
0: So, ratcheting down that set point. Uh, some some might say. Uh, is is almost impossible, right? I liken it to uh, the set points that we have for how much oxygen we need in a given time, right? If we go underwater and we try to deny our bodies the oxygen that it requires, our body is going to send signals by way of nerves to our brain to find a way to get oxygen, to get out of this water. Now, we can fight that for a while, right? But at some point, the body's signals are going to overcome what we're trying to do. We're going to burst out of this water uh, and breathe that oxygen, right? So it's, it's almost impossible to overcome, I think, uh, without help uh, to get past that critical point. That, that's, that set point is a survival point. It's, it's, we are built to survive the famine, right? We're built not to starve. And so when we initially embark on a change that's a calorie restriction, when we initially abruptly drop our calories as part of what we call in modern day a diet, uh, our historical wiring is still in place and it sets us off on food seeking behaviors, as you all well know, uh, that are almost impossible to resist, I think, without help.
1: Yeah. And so in this procedure, you freeze that nerve. Are there risks associated with it? Because the vagus nerve is a very large nerve. Um, what's a potential downside?
0: That's a great question. So with any procedure where we enter the body with a sharp needle, of course, we risk bleeding and infection. That's, that's uh, something that we're very careful about, but certainly a part of any, uh, any procedure in which we, we use a needle to puncture the skin uh, from the outside in. The vagus nerve itself, however, splits uh, as it makes its way from the brain down to the stomach into a front and back or an anterior and posterior trunk. And so we only freeze the posterior trunk and for this reason, we leave the anterior trunk or we leave the other half intact. One of the other questions people would ask is if we are blocking the hunger signal and people are forgetting to eat, aren't they eventually going to, you know, potentially starve to death or become malnourished? And so we leave the redundant systems uh, in the body intact. And we don't completely block the hunger signal, but we bring it down to a more manageable level. Yeah. Amazing
1: that you can be so precise in how you do this procedure.
0: It took quite a while for us as interventional radiologists to uh, expand into things like pain and hunger and and realize that what we're doing as a sort of day-to-day job, doing biopsies and managing trauma and liver disease, we can use this ability to target pain generators in the body. And we can use this uh, ability to target the nerves that manage things like hunger and even beyond. Uh, Nerve sets manage things like diabetes or can affect uh, blood sugar levels. Uh, And and even beyond that, uh, into things like sexual disorders and so on. It's really uh, a fascinating uh, space to work in.
1: Yeah, it seems like there's so much potential um, in different applications of this. Dr. Pelag, I want to ask you, what got you started on this path towards the catching point?
0: Uh, well, thank you for asking that question as well. So as I, uh, as I grew up, uh, relatives of mine, particularly my mom, were, uh, were struggling with diets and, and struggling with staying on diets. And, and I had, a, I had a sort of a front seat uh, with my mom. And I was able actually to talk with her throughout this entire thing and understand how uh, this person who was otherwise uh, had a will of steel, right? Otherwise was, was successful and strong and raised three boys and went to night school and all of these things. And, and how I was hearing from society that if you couldn't stay on a diet, then you must lack willpower or persistence or strength And my mom clearly lacked none of those things. And so I started to wonder, is that really true? And so as time was going on, I I would talk to my mom on day two or day three of one of these new diets. And and I would say things like, if your life depended on it, could you stay on this diet for another week? And, And she would say no. And I would say, "You know, I think it's not willpower or strength something else is going on here. Something has changed inside uh, my mom's body that is blocking her from being successful in this diet. And I don't think it can be overcome with willpower. And And from there, I went to medical school and then uh, did an extra certification in obesity medicine and really sought out, honestly, to sort of prove this on behalf of my mom. <laughs> I wanted to Prove uh, for her and to everyone that this entire sentiment uh, from which horrible things like fat shaming uh, are founded and this sentiment that uh, you're less of a person or you're weak or somehow this is your fault or your inability to change this is your fault. And all of this should be solved uh, in a mind over matter type way. I almost set out to disprove that. And that's really the reason for the vagotomy trial or the freezing of the hunger nerve trial. If we were able to go in and do something to the body, which changed the outcomes, we had 20 people in our study who were constantly failing diets. And they were victims of all of this terrible press and all of this terrible feedback it's your fault you can't do it and it's on you to figure out how to do it and you must not want it bad enough and we did something to their bodies we did not implant willpower is is really the point we did something to their bodies and that changed the outcome right that changed they were able to be successful and stay on a diet when previously they couldn't and so a change to the body changed the outcome not a change to the mind not implantation of mental strength and fortitude and of course This vagotomy, this cryovagotomy is is not the only procedure that we do to the body, right? We know there is an entire uh, uh, body of work around bariatric surgery, around metabolic surgery, where changes are made to the body that result in uh, changes down the road and, and changes in outcomes when it comes to diets and actually changes to the mind as time goes on where things become easier And the perception of eating healthy becomes less miserable. So so it's really the other way around, right? It's really a change to the body that will change the mind uh, and change the outcomes. And so anyone who still partakes in this this fat-shaming phenomenon, this fat-shaming sentiment, I think hopefully by now has been proven wrong. Yeah. But that's how I ended up here. Sorry, that was a long answer.
1: <laughs> oh, no, Dr. Follinger, that's such <laughs> a great answer because a lot of times people have, there's a reason that drives people on a path that you, I mean, you've dedicated so much of your life and career to understanding this question. And, and usually there's a, a reason behind that. And I think it's um, always just so interesting getting that backstory um, behind
0: I I, I appreciate it. I th- I would add to that that, uh, it, it's important to realize that it, uh, any prescription of healthy living, any prescription of a certain calorie cap uh, plus minus exercise, when, when, when used to induce a change. What I mean by that is when embarked upon to lose weight, I start a diet and I start an exercise program on Monday because I want to lose weight. That is a different experience than someone who's of normal BMI or lean Who undergoes the same exact prescription of diet and exercise uh, just either for maintenance or to be healthy but not trying to make a change. Trying to make a change is different and I think this this is where the disconnect arises and this is where this sort of prejudicial behavior uh, arises because those who have not gone through the change or not tried to make a change are assuming that if they switched places with the with this person that they'd be able to make a change that they know what that feels like to try to make a change when in fact they don't right and and that assumption that your experiences are their experiences is where is where prejudicial behavior arises a lot of the time and that's certainly what's going on here
1: yeah and you know being in internal medicine I think that's something that is um, really applicable to the work I do as well in that I think. Um, What we know about obesity has changed so much in the last three decades, and I think the appreciation of how dysregulated the appetite hormones get when the body mass index is elevated is something that I think we're fully appreciating now, but I think your point's really well made that um, it may be a lot easier for someone who is of lower body mass index to make certain health food choices than um, someone who is an elevated body mass index purely because of the dysregulation in hormones. That's so a really good point and I don't hear it said enough. I and truly i am not even sure that um, enough people are aware of it within the medical community, let alone outside of medicine.
0: I, I agree with that. One article that I've written recently called a doctor's apology to those with overweight and obesity goes into this a bit and talks about that disconnect and tries to illustrate how, if you haven't gone through that, if you haven't experienced those elevated hormones, uh, then you're assuming this person feels like you feel. And so that article talks a little bit about that. And it's an open apology to anybody who's ever been the subject of that sort of condescension by any doctor. Um, and also in the book, we spend a few chapters actually talking about this and, and making analogies and trying to explain that uh, the experience of person A is not the same as person B and, uh, and that we should recognize that because those experiences are different, we as physicians uh, have the responsibility uh, to try and help this person just as we would for a person in pain, for example. It, it's, you see the same phenomenon there. if if a doctor or another person hasn't been in pain, you can see sort of this uh, sometimes inappropriate attitude towards the person who is in pain, right? And you make these assumptions about what you think you would do if you felt that, but you really don't know, right? And so you have to accept that disconnect and then accept the responsibility uh, that is yours as a physician to help this person. And, And that's what I'm hoping we'll do now with all of this new knowledge around weight loss and spend a good good amount of time actually in the book talking about exactly this.
1: Yeah, you know, it's just such a good reminder to approach any situation with humility because you always have to appreciate sitting in someone else's shoes and um, not applying your own shoes to other people. Right, <laughs> right.
0: That's exactly right.
1: Well put. Yeah. So Dr. could talk a little bit more about the Catching Point Transformation, so is this a diet book or how is it different from diet books?
0: So thank you for asking. It is not a diet book. It is definitely not a diet book. I I wanted it to be primarily about what we just talked about, A, that disconnect and recognizing that there are obstacles, Uh, and then B, how can we manage those obstacles and get to a new place when we try to lose weight? And so what the book, the second half of the book is, is chapter after chapter about how to manage these obstacles. Uh, for example, what, one of the obstacles that we run into is uh, this overwhelming, for, for example, uh, feeling of hunger, this overwhelming feeling of anxiety or, or tiredness, fatigue, or even depression after we start this diet. And we liken it to, so, so one of the ways we can overcome that is by introducing some fluidity and some flexibility and all of these things that we talk about in the book are all referenced. And I I think if if I could just take a sidebar for a second to say that, I think that's important. We reference all of these interventions um, into the medical literature. So we know that the introduction of flexibility is something that will uh, improve sustainability or allows people to stay on diets longer. And so we spend some time talking about that and make analogies such as this, if you don't mind. If it was instead of a diet, that we wanted to stay on if what we wanted to do was for example make it up to the top of a mountain if we just started sprinting on monday towards the top of that mountain uh, how far are we going to make it right at that full blown uh without any kind of break or any kind of flexibility or any kind of variation in our efforts right we're not going to make it very far and that's what happens with diets we we start out on a sprint on monday and by tuesday or wednesday we've had it with the entire thing right Well, here uh, we explain how you can listen to your body's feedback and you can mitigate and manage your body's feedback by walking for a while, if we use the the up the mountain analogy. And then when your body's ready, you can sprint a little bit longer. But if you introduce this fluidity and this flexibility, you might stretch out what would otherwise be a so-called 30-day program to 60 days, but you'll be so much farther up the mountain. Another example. How we can mitigate this. We have this clause in a book called the, the no start over rule. Right? And, and the comparison we make there is if you were a coin collector, for example, and you started collecting coins on Monday. And I say that because everyone starts on Monday for some reason. You start on Monday, you're collecting these coins and you do this for eight or 10 days and, and then something happens. right? Something happens in your life. Your uh, child falls down or you're stuck late at work. And at that point, you're not really interested in collecting the coins anymore. You're distracted, right? Just like this is what happens with the diets. But when our diet and exercise program is interrupted, what do we do? We just quit. We just chuck the whole thing and then start again two weeks down the road on some other Monday. As a coin collector, you wouldn't wouldn't do that. You wouldn't collect for eight to 10 days. And then when something happened in your life that distracted you from that process, you would hold on to those coins. And then when you came back to it, you would add to that pile again. So you wouldn't start over, right? So there's no starting over in this. It's, it's instead, you're gonna come back to where you were. You're gonna come back to day six or seven of whatever diet slash exercise program you're on. And so in that way, we provide all of these methods for mitigating the body's backlash. And so the Catching Point transformation is not a diet program, it's advice and rules and ways to manage any diet slash exercise program. And when I say manage it, I mean, stay on until you reach your goal. Because it's really the attrition that's the problem. We have an unlimited supply of diet and exercise programs that are all mathematically correct. And if followed to the letter would result in weight loss. So why is anybody struggling with weight loss? It's not the availability of the mathematically correct programs that will work. It's the ability of the dieter to stay on that program and so what the catching point transformation does is give you tools to allow you to sustain your efforts long enough to get you past that critical point which we call the catching point
1: yeah that, that's great And Dr. Pe you know I you know we both were with patients to you know, I think a common thing I hear is they're like, oh, I've lost 300 pounds in the past, right? Kind of referring to this, I lose 50, I gain it back, I lose it, I gain it back. And I know it's so hard and frustrating that a lot of people consider like weight loss surgeries and and the available procedures. And of course, um, now with your addition, you know, newer therapies that are down the pipeline of like freezing a hunger nerve. Can we accommodate, without a procedure, can we get to this catching point and do this without assistance? Or is there some assistance we need in addition to um, all the advice?
0: It's it's not, I don't believe that we necessarily have to have a procedure. I believe the procedures exist to support the idea that something has to change what I call from the outside in, right? You hear very commonly, you know, this, has to change from the inside out, from from your heart and your mind out, right? And and it's the the opposite of that. And so I think those procedures that change us from the outside in uh, and lead to different outcomes support the idea that we can do this without a medical procedure necessarily, but we have to change the focus. The focus has to be on sustainability and lack of attrition, meaning that Our focus needs to be on those things that cause us to quit the diet, not on the diet itself. The diet itself is really, uh, like I said, there are an unlimited number of options that one can choose from to to get to point B, but the problem is we can't get to point B because we quit. So if we can change our focus, we won't need a surgery, we won't need a cryovagotomy. And what we need are these things that mitigate those signals from our body that ultimately cause us to quit. So if you don't have a cryobagotomy, how can you manage your hunger? One thing that I know you know well, uh, we can focus our, our efforts on protein, for example. We can concentrate on, on macronutrient thermogenesis and staying full by having a higher percentage of protein. It's interventions like that that mitigate, for ex- in this example, hunger. But the other things that block us all along the way uh, for example, not listening to our body's feedback and taking on more than we can uh, and not spreading it out, not having a fluidity component to what we're trying to do, an adjustability component. If we don't have those things, we're probably doomed. And, and the literature shows this. The literature shows us, as you just mentioned, that uh, even those who are able to lose weight often gain it back. But most people, independent of the, of the diet, only succeed if they can manage to stay on it. The, there's a famous uh, JAMA article that I know you're familiar with, uh, where people were put on multiple diets: the Atkins diet, the Ornish diet, uh, the Zone diet, and uh, the only thing that correlated with weight loss was time on the diet, was sustainability. So we don't need these procedures if we can focus on sustainability instead of that, the details of the diet itself. Yeah,
1: and and Dr. Prilegko for. You know, many people listening to this podcast, I think what you're saying really resonates. I think a lot of people um, have experienced just the challenges and the struggles you're describing. If there is one thing that you wished everyone listening to this podcast knew, uh, what would it be?
0: Oh my gosh, Uh, that one is easy. If there is one thing that I wish everyone knew uh, who is listening to this podcast about weight loss, it would be that we as Physicians, and we hopefully very soon as the world realize that you are facing obstacles when you embark on this weight loss journey, you're facing obstacles that are almost insurmountable. And most people, including us, probably wouldn't be able to make that change either without some sort of help. And it's not because you lack mental fortitude or you lack willpower or you lack persistence. And uh, I want everyone to understand that all the way back to my mom, to whoever's listening to this now.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, for people who want to know more, how can they follow you or learn more about the book?
0: So the, on my website is drprologo.com. And I've got Twitter at, AGD, at, at JD Prologo and Instagram at JD Prologo. Uh, Also, Facebook, and I would appreciate anyone uh, following or checking out the website or hopefully reading the book. Uh, The book certainly was written with the intent to inform and to describe the experience of someone facing these obstacles and to help them either with a medical procedure or without. We talk about both in the book. Uh, Get to a new point in their life and have a new experience and, uh, and, and have an easier time, frankly.
1: Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for all the work that you do in this area of obesity medicine and interventional radiology, all your dedication, the contributions that you've made to so many lives and to medicine. So thank you so much for the work that you do and for sharing it with us.
0: Likewise. Thank you for all that you do and for having. The Whole Health Cure is brought to you by Emory Lifestyle Medicine and Wellness. For more information about wellness assessments, classes, and other resources, please visit our website, emoryhealthcare.org livewell. This material is copyrighted by Emory University.